0: All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creator Support. Colin, this is a show where we answer your questions and support your creativity. Every right? time the tagline is different yeah. from Colin. Every I feel like time. I nailed that one. But I also think the name of the show, Creator Support, gives you what the show is. We're going to support you, creators. You guys ask us questions and we're going to answer them. And today we have a special guest, Evan Lozato. Thanks so much for having me. Evan, you are a professional in our space, unlike Colin and I. Uh, We are creators. You are the professional. Uh, You tell us, tell the audience, what do you do?
1: Uh, Okay. Well, first of all, I am a longtime listener, first time caller of this show. Mm -hmm. Big, big honor to be on with you guys. Uh, I am the president of a company called NSL Ventures, which owns a company called Socialite, uh, which some of you creators may know. We are an influencer marketing agency. We represent um, about 150 uh, lifestyle and celebrity level influencer talent. And we also do a lot of influencer marketing work on behalf of brands. Someone's given that pitch before. Yeah. Uh, that was great. <laughs> yeah, great pitch. I'm ready. I'm in.
2: But you've also worked at a lot of creator platforms, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So before doing this, I've been doing this for the last roughly five years. Before doing this, I was at Snapchat uh, and spent some time at Facebook uh, and even had a brief stint at Twitter in between those two.
2: Okay. So we're going to get to all of your questions, but... Evan reached out to us because he's extremely passionate about talking about Elon Musk taking over
0: Twitter. How can you not be?
1: How yeah, can you not be?
0: It feels like we're in a crazy timeline where, like, I looked really thinking about it. That is crazy. Yeah. That this one guy bought Twitter. I don't know. Maybe let's recount for, for everyone who's maybe seen the headlines about this. Let's take a step back and be like, what happened here? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Ev, I want to start with this, there was a headline that I saw that said Elon Musk backed Twitter into a corner, basically meaning there's no way they could have avoided this. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of the details that are still going to come out about how this happened in the boardroom um, and exactly how it happened that he went from owning no shares of Twitter to owning 10% of Twitter to being offered a board seat to rejecting the board seat and then suddenly trying to take over the company. Um, I think that the offer he put in was something that the board realized that they couldn't uh, ignore. Um, and, you know, there was the whole
0: drama around a poison pill and all that stuff, uh, which you may have heard about in the news. But So let's pause. A yeah. poison pill, which I learned about this week, uh, is really interesting. A poison pill essentially suggests that, like, when, once he owned 9% of the company, it suggests that no single shareholder could have owned 15%. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think they set it at 15%. It's it's the board can set that level where they want, but essentially once somebody owns 15% of the company or tries to buy it on the public market, um the the board can essentially dilute that shareholder by issuing more <laughs> stock to the other shareholders. So, not to get into an M&A podcast here cuz so okay. I don't no, think that's it's, the it's, the it's point helpful here. to
0: understand because there yeah. was a moment where the board was like, "No, we don't we don't want a single shareholder to be able to own more than 15%. Yeah. But then this guy owns a hundred percent now.
1: Yeah. So it's, (laughs) it begs the question whether maybe that was a move of leverage on behalf of the board, knowing that they were going to have to negotiate with Elon. And maybe this was a point of leverage in that negotiation, but um, we'll find those details out later. It's just crazy that this, the richest guy on the planet who has never ever been in the ad market. He's never been in social media. He uh, does cars and rockets, decided one day that he wanted to own what he's calling the digital town hall because he's has has some gripes with, not to get into the gripe segment too early, because <laughs> yeah. I know that's coming. <laughs> that's coming. But uh, he's got gripes with how um, the, the platform moderates free speech and content in general. And it, it, to me, it begs the question whether, you know, knowing Elon Musk and knowing he is, uh, you know, he's done some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and he's, he's posted stuff on Twitter that has caused firestorms for himself and for other people. Does he really know what he's getting himself into? I think that's the biggest question that I have on my mind is, does he really understand the implications of going and owning Twitter changing the rules and regulations and policies of of the platform, what that's going to mean for the revenue that Twitter is able to make, Mm. what it's going to mean for the user base, what it's going to mean for the experience. And is he willing to lose all the money he just put in because those kinds of things could change if not destroy the platform itself. And I just think it's fascinating. I'm not here to take a stand or have a take specifically on the left or on the right. It's not a political podcast, obviously, but I feel like, it's just a fascinating story and one of the most fascinating things to happen in social media in a really long time.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, we've been talking about how seeing like a creator on a platform by the platform, yeah. even that is just fascinating to think about, right?
1: Absolutely. He's it, a creator. He's an influencer. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily monetize his audience in the way that other creators
0: do, but he is, yeah, an influencer. I mean, like he has meme is. dealers. Yeah. yeah. Like he posts yeah. some yeah. of the most
2: viral memes on the platform.
0: <laughs> yeah. So just to... to double down on what you just said around like content moderation and um, how that will affect the platform moving forward. It did seem like pretty immediately some accounts that were banned are now not banned and free speech as a whole. Like you worked in content moderation at one point. Yeah. Um, Do you think the platforms have a responsibility to moderate content or do you think that they are true like town squares where people can say
1: what they want to say? I think it's somewhere in between those two things and I think that's what's going to be fascinating is Elon Musk going to try and find where that line is. I mean, I think content moderation is not a new topic, right? I remember when I started at Facebook, one of my first days I showed up to the office and there was a huge contingent of protesters, mom protesters protesting the ban on breastfeeding content, and that was one of the original issues with Facebook's content policy was banning that kind of content. So It's happened uh, with that, it's happened with uh, content, um, ISIS related content where, you know, ISIS was posting videos trying to recruit people and the platforms have had to adapt. And then most recently with COVID and misinformation and stuff like that, um, this has been a constant battle. But I think one of the things that's actually driven the platforms outside of creating a safe space, especially for kids um, to prevent things like bullying, harassment, really egregious stuff, child pornography, the, the, the worst things that might happen on a social media platform is they're trying to avoid regulation mm-hmm. um, because they know if they don't moderate some of this content, they might lose their safe harbor. And two, to create a brand safe environment on their platforms so that advertisers are willing to spend money on those platforms. If they can't create and guarantee a safe platform, advertisers have plenty of other places to put their, their dollars, Right. So I think there's not just a moral obligation, there's also a business obligation to do it. And what's so interesting about the Elon Musk takeover is he is basically pulling it off of the public market, right? He's privatizing the company. So it's not beholden to the same revenue targets, user targets, anything like that, that it used to be. So in a weird way, taking it private was the only way to make Twitter a public utility again, and not be beholden to Wall Street demands around revenue and user growth. So I think that's one of the the fascinating like um, ironies and and um, yeah the conflicts of this whole thing. I wonder how much this actually
2: affects creators on Twitter because unlike YouTube, where creators have a true partnership with the platform where we split revenue, the advertising revenue that does not happen on Twitter. So if advertising went away and Twitter found some way to exist as a creator, I still get the same reach, the same distribution, the same ability to connect with my audience. So does it really affect creators or would it affect creators that much?
1: Yeah, so I think it will. And I would encourage anyone who's got a Twitter only following to think about diversifying their audiences, because, again, an advertiser, I bet a lot of these conversations are happening right now at Twitter where advertisers are worried about what the content um, moderation impact is going to be, and they want to put their ads in a brand-safe environment. This is one of the biggest trends of the last probably five years, and it really started around five years ago, was brand safety. And that was a big topic for YouTube for a long, Mm -hmm. long time. Um, Can can Twitter guarantee a brand-safe environment under these new policies? I don't know how they can, and I think a lot of advertisers are going to wait and see. I think that affects their direct spending on Twitter, but also spend with creators. Um, and they do do some, it's different than YouTube, but they do partner with media uh, organizations on monetizing video content. Um, but I don't think creators have access. There's a couple of creators that have access to it
0: that you you can watch and you'll see like a pre-roll ad play before. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting subject right there is like advertising in general and that advertisers want brand safe environments. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the definition of brand safe environment is a little bit subjective to the brand. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And uh,
1: in, it, in a way, almost non-controversial is what yeah. they're looking for. Right? right. I mean, somewhat controversial maybe, but they don't want to piss anybody off. They don't want to be next to content that, um, you know, uh, the, the type of content Elon
0: Musk might be bringing back to platforms.
1: Wow. So.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like his quote was, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where, where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. Do you agree with that?
1: I, I mean, I love that. It's very uh, mission-driven. I don't know that, a, I, you know, just given how many users are on Twitter compared to some of the other platforms out there, I don't know that they can stake that claim, but there is something really unique about Twitter in that it's not videos and photos. I mean there is some of that content obviously, but it is more of a stream of consciousness platform and and does reflect the consciousness of society in a way. But um my Twitter know, is
0: primarily just like hot takes, memes, and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> NFTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if it's I don't know if I would describe it as uh, the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. You know, but, I actually yeah, I, yeah. I,
2: I would put it close to that level. Wow. I I feel like it's the most updated news you can get. Whether that mm. is uh, trusted news, I don't know. But I feel like uh, there have been a lot of times throughout COVID or even the response to George Floyd, where uh, you know, I was actively checking my Twitter feed before I was necessarily watching CNN, because Twitter was representative of what was happening in my actual neighborhood. Like you could follow accounts that would tell you things that were happening in yeah. venice in mm-hmm. santa monica and they were updating like every 30 seconds
1: yeah that's you wonderful. know and
2: yeah. that's an interesting thing where i don't know where where else do you, where get, else that? Do you get that you're not yeah, getting yeah. It on local news you're not getting yeah. that on cnn like not that's getting twitter. It on
1: tiktok you're not getting it yeah anywhere else i agree do you guys have that experience on twitter as creators who you know obviously operate a twitter platform some of the um one like spam bot type stuff but also are people engaging with your content ever in a more political way than they might in other on other platforms
0: mm.
2: Well we do have a lot of spam bot type things happening yeah. where we're getting tagged specifically in a lot of crypto, crypto. things every day Yeah yeah we're yeah. getting spammed with things like that When it com- I wouldn't say we're getting an influx of maybe politicized content or anything like that but people are much more willing to maybe debate us or push back on Twitter than we would find in the YouTube comments section, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, because there's a culture of dunking on people, of, like, quote, retweeting and putting your statement above theirs and seeing if that can go viral.
1: Right, absolutely. Almost trolling. Um, Yeah, Yeah. and sorry, just real quick. on. I think somewhere in Elon's statement, he said something about the two of the things he wants to do are to open source the algorithm, right, and also to destroy spam bots, which sounds really honorable. It again begs the question whether he really knows what he's getting himself into. I think a couple people have written about this already, but those things seem to be contradictory of one another, right? If you're going to open up your algorithm uh, and have it be open source to everybody doesn't that allow people to find and spot vulnerabilities in the algorithm to leverage it and sure. exploit those things? Yeah. So, I, I mean, the fact that Jack Dorsey is so on Team Elon, I think, is, um, is the biggest thing he's got going for him right now because it sounds like, from everything I've seen, the Twitter uh, office is not too happy with what's going on right now. I think morale is pretty low. I found it shocking that he wasn't at the all hands that happened at the company a couple of days ago. Right. Um, And, you know, he's not the most popular guy there right now. I think 99% of political donations from Twitter went to Democrats in this last election cycle. And Elon Musk is kind of an amorphous. No one knows if he's Democrat Mm -hmm. Republican. He's just, he's hard to understand. He's both for free speech and seems to be a right wing hero. But at the same time, Nobody's done more for climate change than Elon Musk. And so he's just this weird in between. People don't know how to feel about it yet. But I think having Jack Dorsey supporting him and at his side is, is honestly the only through line from Twitter as we knew it to the new Twitter and what's going to keep employees, you know, motivated and excited to be there. I think what seems obvious to
2: me is that Elon Musk does not have time to deal with matters at Twitter. Right. Like yes. there's not even a right. question, yeah. I would think, that he has a lot more things yeah. taking place that he is naturally suited for because he's a product guy, like, to be interested in SpaceX and Tesla. And I'm curious who maybe becomes the CEO of Twitter.
0: Right? I don't know if he's going to kick out the Parag, yeah, but he also has given a lot of blanket broad statements, <laughs> Parag overall, Like, he just doesn't seem to have an opinion. Um, everything he tweets seems like it was like extremely manicured and well crafted, like in a room that he barely had any say in what he's going to tweet. Yeah, totally. It doesn't feel like opinionated at all to me. And he doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Elon puts in someone a lot more dynamic to make some actual changes because Twitter's at least for me as a creator, Twitter has been largely the same spaces Mm -hmm. is the only thing that's new. Yeah. They're notoriously the platform that's like, what about fleets? Never mind. What about, you know, like they just yeah. like throw things out and they're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. 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 We've been talking about an edit button, what, for
1: 10, 12 years now. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think
0: Twitter can do to, like, do you think Elon cares about creators at all? Like, is, is that like, is that even on his mind or is it more about people being able to, to express free speech? And do you think the, like, does that make the platform inherently more political than like creative Right. Um,
1: that's a great question. I think that he's you know, he been very clear. He doesn't want anyone to leave Twitter. He obviously has some um, incentive to say something like that because he doesn't want the user base to decline. But um, again, I don't think he's thought that far ahead. He's really, really focused on this content moderation issue. Um, and I don't think he's fully wrapped his head around the value creators bring to the platform. Yeah. Once he does, he's going to care a lot about creators. I just don't, from what he said, I, again it's hard to discern whether he truly fully knows what this business is and the value that creators bring to the platform.
0: Yeah. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Yeah. I think it'll be really interesting to see, like, I mean, we don't really, we don't monetize on Twitter very much, but Twitter is one of my favorite platforms. Yeah. I would say as a creator, it's like a very fun platform and it feels like low impact. Like if you put out a bad tweet, it doesn't feel like anything. Right. When you put out a bad YouTube video, a bad Instagram post, like everything feels like the world's crashing down on you. <laughs> for some reason, putting yeah. out a tweet that has no engagement, you're like, oh, I just yeah, just it has so- the lowest barrier to entry. Yeah, just something yeah. I said that no one liked, but that's okay. The, the one lowest, lowest cost to creation. I think for yeah.
1: you guys, I wonder how much LinkedIn has sort of like cannibalized what you guys do on Twitter. because I feel like Twitter as a business platform is sort of, it, there's something very similar about what's what linkedin offers right and the community that's offered there and maybe who engage with you i guys. mean i'm
0: i'm linkedining right now yeah. i'm a linkedin influencer yeah i have noticed Stalin's not linkedining but i'm linkedining <laughs> right. yeah yeah i'm i'm linkedin I'm linking, link, yeah, link. I'm linking all the ends. I'm linking all the ends. All right, let's get to our first creator support question, huh? So our first question comes from Tohir. He says, when Colin said, we lack business professionals in the creator economy, my heart jumped in joy. I'm a director of operations and my dream job is to work with creators and helping them run their businesses. Where and how do I get in? That's a great question. Yep. Um, you know, there's actually a lot
1: of agencies um in this space popping up. We've been around, Socialite's been around for uh, over 10 years. So, um, you know, we were one of the first influencer marketing agencies to to manage talent. But, um, you know, I think for the most part, there's a lot of ways in, it depends on what you want to do. Do you want to work directly with creators? Do you want to help scale a business? I think a lot of what we focus on day to day is how do we scale our business to support more and more creators and more and more brands do you like working with on the brand side working with brands helping them de- to develop strategies and i think there's there's so many places that you can apply your skill set
0: yeah i think going in from either the the brand or agency side yeah. offers you an opportunity to work with a lot of different creators i think ian from seatgeek is probably one of the most you know known guys who worked at a brand and then was able to forge and like build bridges with creators and that allowed him to become a very reputable name Mm -hmm. for someone who knows how to work with creators. I mean,
2: our friend Willis who worked with us at whistle then is now at phase clan. Clan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that type of thing happens all the time when you work at an agency because you actually get to work with the creators on their business. They trust you. They're comfortable with you. And then you can.
0: And oftentimes uh, those types of people step out and then start their own management company or, you know, go direct with a creator. Yeah. And I think that's, that's your best opportunity. And the the space is becoming so much more professional that you actually can go get a job as you know, even YouTube has a role called creator liaison.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's,
0: there's so many roles and I think that's pretty common now amongst most brands, especially as you know, Facebook and Instagram marketing is not as significant anymore. Like paid marketing, right. Paid acquisition is not as significant anymore, which is shifting a lot of dollars to working with creators, but the brands then need people in house to build relationships or work directly with an agency like yours. Yeah. I think to the pay creators,
1: yeah, the agency is an interesting place to start. Cause you, if, if you're not sure where you want to be in, in the space, cause we, we get to work on both the supply side and the demand side of the market, right? We get to work with the brands and with the creators and it helps you maybe understand where in the space you want to be, uh, which part of it you like more, but I agree more and more, um, brands are going to be working more directly with creators. So,
0: um, there's going to be plenty of opportunities. This question comes from Paul. He says, uh, the trap of creating for views instead of my own interests caught me. He got caught now. <laughs> hey, um, hey, we've been caught. And we've yeah. been caught before. Paul. Don't caught. worry. We all get caught. Now I'm on a couple thousand subscribers that want more of it. How do I go about a healthy transition without starting on a fresh channel to drop the uninterested subscribers? So essentially this is what I'm understanding. Paul started creating content, people started following, and he's like, I actually don't want to make this content. I don't mm. want to make this type of content. And now he's saying, can I just make something totally different? What do I do now?
2: I would say if you're dealing in the low thousands of subscribers, you definitely can make that pivot. Because we pivoted many times, upwards of 100,000 subscribers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and maybe you purge some people here and there, but...
0: Yeah, you, just ha- you, you have to do the thing that's going to be sustainable for you. If you don't like doing it, it's our, you're, you you got to stop. And And like Colin said, we we started the Colin and Samir show at I think over 200,000 subscribers. So when we started that show, everything clicked and we realized we could do that. And if people were going to leave, they were going to leave because that's the show we were going to do. Yeah. So it was either that show or nothing. And so it was like,
2: it's more about what you want to do than what the audience wants to see. Actually, it has to start with you and what you think you can actually commit to and want to commit to.
0: Yeah. Agreed. All right. This question uh, is how do you decide which brands to work with? Is it all inbound Or do you uh, do outreach to your dream partners and what does that outreach even look like? That's a good question.
2: I would say from the beginning, we've always tried to identify what we call a North Star brand. So who's the brand that you would want to work with if the opportunity came up? So with Lacrosse Network for us, that was Nike. And as we were building the Lacrosse Network and that channel, we always thought, you know, as we're making new shows, new content, could a brand like Nike authentically fit? And then eventually, once Nike was ready to integrate... With
0: lacrosse, we were there. And I think to, to even like go a few steps back before you can come up with a North Star brand, it's thinking about your audience and your value prop. Like who are you creating for and why are they watching? Those two things for us, like right now, it's we create for other creators. So we are very clear about who we're making for. And then our value prop is we want to educate them. We want to educate and empower them. So it's, you start to then make a list of who are the companies who have that exact same mission. Who are the companies who want to talk to creators and want to educate and empower them? You know, a great example, one of our advertisers is Shopify. They have an effort right now where they want to educate creators on how to launch their own brands and they want to empower them to build businesses. It's Literally our exact mission. And that makes it a really good brand fit. So when you have that audience and the value prop essentially creates a mission statement and you can just go out and say, well, who are the other brands that have the same mission statement? That's what allowed us to go outbound to the brands and make a list. And, you know, we did, it felt like in the beginning, we were on a bit of a roadshow getting on calls regularly saying, this is what we do. We think we're aligned with what you do. We should do something together. Let's, let's, you know, let's do an ad package. And then we, we also created a menu that was essentially, here's what you can buy. So it's not just like yeah, loose and free flowing. But I'm curious from your perspective, Ev, hmm. about this question, like inbound versus outbound, how do you, on the agency side, find creators to work with, um, and, and inform your brands on how to work with them. Yeah. And how do you suggest creators go outbound?
1: I think, yeah, I think one of the value props of signing with an agency is that we, uh, you know, should be adding value to your business. Right. So we, we, of course, um, negotiate, help you contract with things that come inbound to you and, Uh, We'll help manage that campaign and deal with the client. We'll deal with reporting, measurement, all of that kind of stuff. But um, it's also up to us to be out there pitching your dream list of of brands, that the people you want to talk to. So, um, you know, I think on that side, as I'm sure you guys have seen, um, it doesn't always pay off, at least not right away but it goes a long, long way for a brand to hear from a creator that I really want to work with you because they spend so much yeah. time trying to track down creators that you know, they, want them, they want to work with them. So it goes a long way. It just They may not have budget for a campaign right at that particular moment. They may be tied up. They might strategically be doing something else, but they'll remember that. So I think it's always, always worth going outbound and talking to the brands you want to work with.
0: What, from your experience, is the selling cycle for a brand, like how far out are brands booking creators or how close to are they booking creators?
1: It's a real range. Yeah, I mean, it's a real range. I think if we're talking about, um, you know, bigger strategic campaigns that involve multiple creators that we're helping a brand on, uh, it can be many, many months. Like we can be, you know, working on something in February, March, April that might not run until the fourth quarter of the year. on the influencer side, they typically don't get the deal or the scope uh, until, you know, usually just before the campaign, unless it's a longer ambassador program. Um, but it can be anywhere from a week before it's supposed to run yeah. or even a couple of days before, as I know you guys have, have had some of those, mm-hmm. to six to nine months in advance. It's, it can just be a range.
0: Yeah, we have had those. I think for me, I'm, we're, we're trying to do less of the quick turnaround. Yeah, so that that are Because we have an office too. Like we have a company, an office, we have a team. So we want everyone to know what to expect, not for things to come out of nowhere. Um, and so for us, we, we, in the beginning, we went outbound on like a, you know, again, like I mentioned, like a sales road show and then booked long-term partnerships. Mm -hmm. But I'd also say our first ever brand deals came from an agency. Yeah, we weren't signed exclusively to the agency, but we essentially made ourselves available to them. Right. Uh, so it was the agency it was called Space Station, and we reached out and said, "Hey, we, we're making videos. We'd love to love to be on your radar. Yeah, if you have any brands that are interested in us." And pretty quickly, we got a deal. So yeah. I, I definitely think like you want to go where the deal flow is until you have the deal flow. And now today, we have deal flow. Like yeah. our inbox has opportunities in it, but in the beginning, it didn't. Right. And you have to go and find where whose inbox has deals. And that's such a great place to be that you guys are
1: in, where, you know, you get to be a little bit more discerning, have discretion over the people and brands you want to work with, the causes you want to support. Curious on that point, the, the time you guys were non-exclusive with an agency. Yeah. What were the downsides of that? Or were there any?
0: Just like low deal flow. But that also, I think, yeah. was the downside of us being not making, we weren't making a lot of content. We were very good at making content, so... Yeah, I don't think there was much downside to that. I don't see downside. Yeah, Um, there are a lot of
2: pros there of just getting reps of working with brands, like learning what it means to be a trusted partner and to actually perform for a brand.
1: That's why I I do think it's worth for a lot of people who are coming up, maybe trying to get um, a relationship with an agency, even on a non-exclusive basis, because who knows what the next program they're going to have that you might actually be a really
0: good fit for and they'll send it over to you. So Um, one one big mistake we made, The first email I sent to that agency, I was not very clear on what we did. I sent anything and everything we did. I was like, (laughs) we could do this, 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 this. We've done this one time. We did this one time. And it was just so confusing. When I looked back at that, we didn't know how to tell our story. Mm. We didn't know how to explain what we did. We were a buffet. Yeah, we were a buffet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were not like a, we weren't like a tight menu, you know? Yeah, yeah. No direction.
2: It was like, we've got Chinese food, we've got donuts, (laughs) we'll make a burrito for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just say it. You say No one wants to eat at those restaurants. No, no, no.
0: no, no. Oh, here we go. We might be at a gripe. Okay. I (laughs) I think we just landed I didn't even know, I didn't (laughs) even know I had one, but here Uh, we go. We're landing in a gripe, which actually, maybe we talked about on Sunday when you and I had lunch, but... um, I don't like when a restaurant doesn't allow you to customize. Mm-hmm, I yeah. want I want to be able to walk up and say, yeah, I'll take the Garden Burger, but I actually want it in a wrap. And actually, could you take some of the hummus from that other sandwich and put it on there? Yeah. <laughs> we're talking. I know it's you, all there.
2: We're talking to you, Father's Office in Culver City. That's yeah. right. <laughs> no ketchup.
0: Wow. You're going to call them out by <laughs> yep. name. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. Yep. I'm we're talking not, to you. We're not going to be allowed wow. there again, but yeah, they don't-, they <laughs> I, don't
1: I I just want to clarify- I fully support Father's office. <laughs> I want no part of this conversation.
0: So for those who don't know, this is a restaurant in LA. They make a sandwich. It's a sandwich. They call it a burger, but it's a sandwich. We all know it's a sandwich. Um, I, I want no okay. part of this See, conversation. I'll tell you what. I'm going to call a it a burger. I'm not yeah. going to go <laughs> it's that not far. A burger I'm not egg. a maniac. It's served Dude. on a baguette. You don't serve a burger on a baguette. Wait, the, okay, here's the thing.
2: The burger is actually phenomenal.
0: It the is burger cooked Hold is on. I'm not saying Excellent. this is not delicious. It's a delight. But there's some, i we got some problems with it. Okay. First of all. My they, gripe
2: start, stops at the fact that they won't give you ketchup. Yeah. So you, you continue So on. you
0: walk up and you say, I'll have the burger, which is already absurd because it's a sandwich. And then they're done with the ordering. And you're like, oh, you know what? Can I have some extra ketchup? You guys have great ketchup. And they go, no. <laughs> what? What is that move? Yeah. I've had a friend who's so
1: desperate to dodge the blue cheese on the burger there that they've said that they're allergic. Yeah. Still wouldn't take it off. They won't even take it off. They won't take it off. Even off. Take it off. Yeah. I mean, they weren't allergic, to be clear. They are just trying to get rid of the blue cheese. But, right. But you have to yeah. go to
0: desperate measures there to try and get what you want. Father's yeah. office, notoriously strict. So the, notoriously <laughs> strict. <laughs> notoriously strict. But yeah. I guess the you're, question... You're in their
2: land, in their country, when you walk in yeah. those doors.
0: The question as a whole, <laughs> for everyone listening, yeah. is... When you're at a restaurant, is the menu for you saying like, this is what we make and that's it. The line stops there. Or is the menu suggested? Like, is it a suggestion? Like, maybe you'd like this, but you can make your own thing out of it.
2: Yeah, I, I think I understand why they have to be strict. Because I've seen you make modifications to orders. <laughs> it's that for take people like you. It's for people like 20 you. 20 to 30 it. minutes yeah. of deliberation. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's equally as frustrating for me as I imagined it is for them
1: yeah it takes a long long time
0: if you're in back of smear in line yeah. you're gonna be there for a while yeah. just get comfortable alright this next question comes from Matthew <laughs> and he says what are your thoughts on filmmakers distributing their short films via YouTube what are the best ways to maximize viewership when short films don't share qualities that are typically friendly to the algorithm I see yeah I mean you're a film major Interesting question, you know, for <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. big film guy. You want to play on my experience there? I, yeah.
1: um, you know, I, I don't think I'm necessarily the best person to answer this question, but, um, you know, I think YouTube has become a space for all kinds of creators and I think that's just one type. And if, you know, you don't have to be on there to try and build a specific audience or community, you can be there to showcase your art. I think that's okay. I, yeah. I,
2: I think if you are looking for viewership though, the, uh, Theme, subject matter, and the transformation that you're trying to have uh, needs to be consistent if you Mm. are looking to grow viewership. I've seen some great channels that make uh, outdoor documentaries, and all of these short docs are about showing you someone who's doing something extreme in nature. Yeah. You know, and they all share that common thread. So, like, you can subscribe if you like that type of thing. But I think if you're making all different types of films, for all different types of people, you can't expect
0: to, to grow really. Yeah. it's all about the outcome you expect. You know, if you're just looking for a great way to distribute it, share a link, and who knows, maybe a lot of people watch it, then it's YouTube. If you need to make money from it, probably not. Yeah, you know, YouTube. Um, speaking of making money, question from Marilyn says, is it possible to make a living with 10,000 followers? If so, which platform? That's one for you, Evan.
1: Um, you know, I... This is something that's changed a lot, I think, over the last five years. i I would say probably not um, interesting Ooh. from ten thousand followers. I mean, I, I th- what what ultimately matters, and I know you guys have talked about this endlessly on your podcast and on your shows, is just what that audience is, what it represents, and what your authority and expertise is. if you If you are a creator who has a specific expertise, let's say you're a dermatologist and you've built ten thousand followers of heavily dedicated, Um, beauty influencers and activists and things like that. Um, I don't know what a beauty activist is, but I'm sure it exists. Um, I'm actively working on my beauty. (laughs) I'm a beauty activist. (laughs) Um, You know, you might be able to because, you know, you're high in demand. You're seen as an authority in that subject matter. And people want that level of influence. But it it really comes down to who those 10,000 followers are.
0: Yeah, I I think 10,000 fans, you can make a living. Mm Mm-hmm. I think followers have become very much a vanity metric. Yeah. Because we see people with millions of followers who are, don't have much engagement. So I think like views per video, likes per post, comments, like that engagement is such a better metric of success. Yeah. But I, I kind of disagree uh, because I do think it's possible. Like I think that it all depends on your niche yeah. and how niche that account is. Is it niche or niche? What do you say? It's niche. I say niche as well. Okay. Yeah. Niche. Thank God you said that. (laughs) We're
1: going to get into another gripe pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: I mean, I I have a general gripe around words that you don't know how to pronounce because sometimes you're in a sentence and that word's going to come up and then you just panic and you're like, is it, what am I going to say?
2: Is that the word's fault or is that your
0: fault? (laughs) (laughs) You're blaming that on me. That's not, no, it's the English language's fault. Why have so many different ways to say a word? And why have a French word
1: in the English language? Would do you use the French pronunciation or the English pronunciation? You know
0: what you I mean? You know what? Another, like now we're fully into gripes, yeah. but people who pronounce croissant correctly with the French pronunciation Oof. bothers me. How do you pronounce yeah. it? Say it, Ev. Croissant. No, that's not it. <laughs> that sounded what very American. Say, croissant. Oh, you're saying uh, I'm people. saying when someone throws that into a sentence and they're like, what, you, uh, you want to grab a coffee and maybe a croissant? That yeah. sounds borderline offensive
2: the way you just said it.
0: Yeah. Offensive, <laughs> yeah, something
1: about it. Offensive. I think it's it's going to be fine on Twitter, but it might get taken
0: down off of YouTube. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We can go back to content moderation. That'll get moderated right off. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, yeah people yeah. making a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> with ten
0: thousand followers. I think the thing is the. Um, I think you guys were saying similar things. Actually. Yeah, we were saying similar yeah. things. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, with all the different opportunities today, like you could make online courses. Yeah. You could make, uh, you know, an e-commerce brand. An e-commerce brand with 10,000 fans, you can make a living. Yeah. So it depends on what your monetization style is. Totally. Advertising might be tough. Yes, that's what it. What it is. But you could have on. a monetization style that's just different. Right. By the way, you
1: could have an OnlyFans account with 10,000 followers and be doing just fine. So, you know. How about um,
0: some of the numbers that are coming out of OnlyFans right now? I haven't seen that. Bad, see bad, bad Bobby. Bad Bobby. So you said the Cash Me Outside, Cash Me Outside how about Creator. Out? Yeah. She made 42 million
2: dollars in yeah. the last year. Yeah. Forty-two million dollars. Yeah. Wow. On her OnlyFans. And posted a screenshot of it and said something like, Yeah. You mad? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh man, like, yeah. whoa. That's we live in a wild world. Yeah,
0: that's so, something. I have two questions for you. Yeah. The first one is what do you think happens or have you seen, like what is ha- what happens to the crop of creators and influencers who maybe have one to two years of a lot of momentum online and then it kind of fizzles out? Where do they go? Do they go in-house at brands? Do they just move on from the industry? It almost feels like the NBA where like maybe some people have a shorter shelf life than others. Um, and with this crop of of young creators who are, maybe you know exploding early on like 19 to 22 and maybe they are you know doing only fans or doing other you know ways yeah. of making money but only have like three years of it what happens next have we not seen that yet
1: Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question. I think we're going to see more and more of that, especially as new platforms emerge and old ones kind of die off, like people on older platforms, where do they go if they aren't able to bring their audience to a newer platform? So it's definitely something that's going to happen. I personally feel and have seen in my industry that um, a lot of, a lot of creators are going to agencies, they're going to the brand side and helping them build social followings. The skill set you get as a creator is kind of second to none in the marketing world, mm. right? You've learned how to develop, build, grow an audience and monetize it. You know, you right. know what works, what doesn't. You are extremely valuable to a company or to an agency or to other creators. So um, I think the career opportunities are there. I'm not sure exactly where a lot of people are landing
0: or a, a good example to give you of, yeah. of you know, this is how you should do it. It's a good point though that these skills that you learn as a creator will be valuable in our world no matter what. Yeah. Learning how to tell stories online, engage an audience online will be valuable. So even if you start it at a young age, find some traction and then don't really want to run it by yourself, there's probably a lot of job opportunities. Yeah. Which is so interesting. Yeah,
1: it's like it's like a software engineer almost, where you know you might try and build a company and have a little bit of traction, and then for whatever reason the company goes under. But you can go apply your skill set at another company. You know what yep. I mean? And uh-huh. and work towards you know work on a different product. It doesn't have to be your own company. Um, it's a very transferable skill
0: set in today's day and age. Second question for you: um, In this post-pandemic world with live activations, retail, you know, omni-channel marketing kind of picking back up. Are creators going to see less advertising dollars now that the world is back open? You know, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I think experiential,
1: um, for our business was actually a core part of our business leading up to COVID. We did a lot of events. We, um, run a, uh, uh, an event called simply, uh, used to be called simply stylist that brings together bloggers, um, uh, or used to bring together bloggers, um, and, and stylists and things like that to help network and create, uh, content together. And we had programming and conference style, uh, talks at the event. Um, and there's still a lot of those events that are going to pop up. Things like Coachella that, um, influencers make a, and creators make a lot of money on, right? Mm-hmm. They're being asked to attend um, to create content at those events. So I actually think it opens up a new revenue stream as, as much as anything.
0: That's an interesting take. Yeah. I like that.
1: You just got to be willing to go to the events.
0: Right. Yeah. Or you be gotta, a creator that,
1: or you? that
2: can integrate at the events. I'm saying like the proverbial yeah. you as a got creator, it. like the, yeah, yeah. the things that you create have to be able to like integrate with those types of events. You have to be willing to
0: we could perform at Coachella, yeah. Colin and Samir Show live at Coachella, <laughs> in between sets, in between Rufus Dussault and That was a good one though, Rufus Dussault and <laughs> <In> somebody else. <laughs> yeah. good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to throw out.
2: Whenever I imagine <laughs> yeah. any music festival, Rufus time. Dussault yeah. is there. <laughs> I think we may get booed off stage. Yeah. yeah. yeah if everyone's there for Rufus Dussault, <laughs> they're, they're not interested in what we're putting down. Yeah.
0: To talk about creators, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you to, see um, some of the 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 data around companies like Manscaped and Warby Parker over the past two years have 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 all of a sudden lost money because of the amount that they're spending on marketing and the cost per acquisition going so high up mm. on Facebook and Instagram and like I don't know. I I yeah. just have this sense that maybe things might change with advertising budgets and maybe the last two years were. I mean, I haven't seen advertising budgets like I've seen in the last two years yeah. for influencers and for creators. I I just wonder if that just continues to rise.
1: So it's it's interesting. I think, um, yeah, the the inventory, especially in the fourth quarters, really shrinks up on all these platforms. I think the emergence of TikTok is a really good thing because oh, it's going to drive, especially as that revenue product monetization product sort of matures, it's going to drive you know, diversify the dollars more, which I think will drive down the cost on each individual platform. Um, But I think you're seeing in some of these earnings reports that there's some supply chain issues on the advertiser side and just global macroeconomic Mm -hmm. trends that are impacting revenue uh, in a really severe way. And I think creators often feel that, you know, fairly downstream. But, um, uh, you know, I think influencer marketing, creator advertising is such a core part of, any marketing strategy that I don't see that being slashed. If anything, I think those budgets will continue to increase and, and it'll come out of other budgets. You so know there's I mean?
0: still opportunity to become a creator.
1: Yes. Thousand percent. That's why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> this me launching my career
0: as a creator. <laughs> if there are creators out there who are interested uh, in what you're doing at Socialite, what yeah. type of creators are you looking for and how can they reach out to be, to work with you?
1: Yeah. Feel free to reach out. Um, uh, you can visit Evan's s- number is uh, <laughs> I, just <pull> it up. <laughs> I live at, yeah. um, uh, find us at socialite.com. Um, and, uh, and we actually have a, uh, full page contact form for anyone who's interested in working with us either on the brand side or as a creator, um, be happy to talk to you and get in touch. And you can, you can see a list of the creators that we manage on our website. If You're curious if if you might fit in with that
0: type of roster, that type of talent, right? Awesome. Any more gripes before we get out of here? Uh, I do have a gripe. Okay. Why do earthquakes seem to only happen at night when it's scary?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I've thought about that. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Never have I experienced a daytime
1: quake. A DTQ? A DTQ, ever. I think I've only experienced one in my life. No, you huh. you
0: grew up here. There's no way you've only experienced one. No, 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 not one earthquake, one daytime earthquake. Oh, one daytime quake. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. big one was at night, and it was terrifying Yeah. when we were kids. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember it vividly. What it happened? Horrifying. What happened? You guys uh, already what have a quake that you call yes. the big
2: one? I thought the big one's always the one that hasn't come yet. No, we don't talk no, about that. No, we don't, that don't talk about okay. that. Uh, yeah, we don't, cut we that, don't cut say that, that out loud. No, the
0: big uh, one was the Northridge quake. Got it. We all know the Northridge quake. I was in my bed. Bunk beds with my brother. The house is violently shaking. Uh, I, w- you know, obviously wake up. My brother's shaking me and being like, come on, come on. And we get under, uh, we had this uh, table tennis pool hockey table. Do you guys remember those? Yeah. It was three yeah. in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah it was the best, best Christmas yeah. of my life. The yeah. box was huge. Yeah, that was sick. Um, so yeah, we got under that. And that's all we knew. My brother knew, like, we were supposed to get under something. But things were, like, falling off the walls. It was terrifying. And then we'd go out to like the main area where my parents were and my dad's face was all bloody because something fell from on oh, the wall wow. on his face while he was sleeping. And so that added to the panic of like, Oh my God. And we all kind of huddled together underneath this like archway uh, until it was over and we, we turned on a radio to listen. Wow. Yeah. To like That's listen crazy. to what was going on. And then I remember the days after just being terrified about aftershock.
1: Yeah. Oof.
0: Yeah, I didn't want to walk around anywhere alone because of aftershocks. They had us terrified yeah. about the aftershocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it was a that was that was a big one. We were right at that age where it was like, what's happening exactly? Yeah, yeah. The you know Earth I mean? is
0: just shaking. Yeah, <laughs> that, that And we're feels, okay with this. Feels like too much. We're yeah. not moving. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So if we were
2: to just recap the gripes here, we're yeah. looking at earthquakes at night. Uh-huh. Daytime, it's
0: fine. No, uh, no. Daytime is not fine. I'm just. I don't know. But the gripe Actually, is really with the with the The Gripe is with earthquakes in general. Uh I think it was with the timeliness okay, of, deal, of the fine. quake. Yeah. Yeah. If we we're
1: can getting specific. we can do an instant replay on that.
2: Yeah, it. we yeah. you can play that one back. Next it's gonna be restaurants that don't make you that don't let you make any adjustments. Yep. And we had a third gripe, didn't we?
1: Yeah. Um it was saying croissant. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Instead of yeah, croissant. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Words that are yeah.
0: confusing of how to pronounce oh. them. they have too many options of the optionality of pronunciation is those are those are totally rational well-rounded gripes well thanks for listening to this episode of the colin and samir show uh and creator support if you have a question you can ask us on com slash creator support uh or you can subscribe to the newsletter the published press and there'll be a link there where you can click on it and ask your question all right evan thanks for joining thank you and we'll see you guys next week